G'day guys and welcome to the next episode of the Two Red Chairs podcast. Um, I'm Frank, welcome to G'day Design Life. Today I am changing up things a little bit different. I'm not talking too creative today. I thought I'd branch out and look at chatting with some more industry professionals that might be able to level up our game as creative entrepreneurs. And today I have found a absolute stellar guest in Riz from Found Legal. Uh, Riz is a um, legal I guess you could say hotshot because she knows what we are doing as creatives and is here to help us, knows what we're about in terms of things like trademarking, contracts, all that kind of stuff. And I reached out to Riz originally because I found her page on Instagram. I was very impressed by the content and um, wanted to get to know a bit more about her and also ask her about trademarking my own business ventures. So um, I thought it'd be amazing to have her on a chat to share her wealth of knowledge because she was so open and willing to engage with me. And um, here she is today, Riz from Brisbane, Australia. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. Um, I've been a, a, an admirer for some time of this podcast. Oh. So it's um, pretty amazing I get to be on it for uh instead oh that's pretty good to hear i like that when people want to come on my show um (laughs) okay let's just jump jump right in because we've got a few questions here that's going to cover a a few different bases of um legal stuff we won't get into too much legal lingo i think so we don't want to scare everybody but um let's let's jump in with the first question and i want to know um from your perspective riz and i know what the answer is going to be but for everyone out there Um, that is considering contracts, how important is a contract for our client engagements? Super important. Look, you're probably thinking and your audience is probably thinking, of course, she's going to say that she's a lawyer. (laughs) Um, But uh, honestly, it's one of the best things you can do. In my view, it is much cheaper to be proactive and have the right contract in place that covers uh, you and your client. You know, the obligation sets them out clearly, Uh, sets expectations um, and protects your uh, copyright Um, and without it you're being reactive because it's very very expensive to chase down the client for for example for any outstanding fees uh, chase them down for anything else uh, without the benefit of a proper uh, contract basically for sure and that's probably the thing is most of us as creatives if we're not going into engagements without a contract and then something does happen and shit hits the fan and then that's when we're becoming reactive rather than proactive. Correct. And then it's open to interpretation, you know. Going to court is expensive. Trust me on that. It's super expensive. Um, I have a a matter, not my own, thankfully, but I know of um, someone who's uh, spent about $200,000 in court so far um, just fighting over, um, you know, a claim. And basically the argument is over interpretation of each party's intentions uh, because there's no contract in place. Um, and this has been ongoing for some time, though, I should say. Sure. Uh, they should have called it quits many <laughs> months and yeah, years ago. Um, uh, but, yeah, so, so, look, it's just a very expensive and not to mention stressful exercise yep. to um, invest in negativity when you can be re- uh, proactive and have the right terms in place at the beginning. Yeah. Um, be- 
because it's a combination of costs as well as the mental stress of dealing with something like that. Yeah, for sure. As well. So, and people don't realize how stressful that can be. So your attention is taken away from potentially growing your business, dealing with new clients. Instead, you're dealing with uh, an existing client who's not paying you. Yeah. That's that's got to be. It's not time well spent. Yeah, that's got to be some poison in in the arsenal there that that I would imagine would harbour for many many years afterwards as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, th- I think that's probably the big thing with contracts, and probably why many creatives might be scared away from it is just you know you see these contracts that might have pages and pages and pages um, of clauses and sub clauses and all this legal jargon that us as creatives isn't our domain. Um, yep. And I remember back to when I first started my business, I made a point of, of contacting um, someone that I knew that was a, in the legal space to help me craft my um, contracts. And they're now like 10 pages long. <laughs> and they're just, I wouldn't say they're even bulletproof, but it's kind of imposing and I understand why. And so look, if, if we're confused by this and it's not something that we could do ourselves, contacting someone like yourself, Riz, to create a contract kind of template that could be used as a master sort of template for a service agreement with our clients. You know, what are we kind of looking at for some kind of fee um, so, for that? So, so Frank, I um, provide uh, fixed fee and value pricing. It's kind of difficult to give you a, a, a specific price. Look, okay. my templates are $595 okay. if you want a price. Sure. Uh, so they, they, that's priced. Um, but in terms of my time, it depends on the job. It depends on the complexity of the job mm-hmm. as well. Um, but once I give a price, that's it. There is no um, adding time on or minutes, counting the minutes of every phone call, etc. It's the price I've quoted. Okay. Um, so unless, as you can understand, unless you go outside of the scope in a big way, yeah. it's not going to cost you any more than what I've originally quoted you. Um, and 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 normally, um, in fact, I have yet to uh, increase the price on a job because I've quoted correctly and uh, we've stuck to the scope of the job as well. Jeez, if you were a designer as well, you'd be doing very well, <laughs> well with that sticking to your price. I mean, that's pretty much how we would operate as, as creatives. Um, absolutely as well and we we adjust to the the problem that needs to be solved so yeah look if you do have a big complex contract that you need to have every different in and out covered then you know respectfully that's your time and effort absolutely and look you know i don't believe in having too much legal jargon i i don't believe in having 40 pages that is not reflective of the uh job or the contract Mm -hmm. it should really be about setting out the obligations of each party setting out the terms around getting paid um you know when you should get paid what the approval process is all the pain points that um, a designer would experience should be addressed in the contract Um, and as long as those things are very clear and addressed it doesn't have to be 40 pages my contracts tend to be uh, between six and ten pages um, yep. And then you have your proposal or scope of work, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's kind of unique to each client. Look, I, I think in terms of the grand scheme of things, the $600 base price for, say, your templates, uh, to be honest, for me, for mine, is fairly, uh, always very reasonable, um, especially for what could happen, you know, without without one, let's say, um, or you find, you know, a very basic one on um, the web. And I see a lot of these websites that do offer, you know, a template-based kind of 
contract, but they're usually like one page and they cover off a couple of points, but it isn't really tailored to your business as well. And I think that's probably the big thing there is that depending on what kind of creative services you offer and the way you operate, um, I think it's definitely a great investment to be chatting with someone like Riz here for you guys listening um, to, to scope out a contract that works for you. Um, now, if, if we talk about contracts as well, I'm always wondered about this question and um, and I hear different things is, is kind of how binding is a contract, like a written out contract that we all think is bulletproof and set in stone and everything like that. As you know, we hear stories of clients even going AWOL when there's a contract in place and don't pay. What, what happens there? So a contract is definitely binding um, once it's been signed by both parties. Um, so you can't, you know, just walk away from that. But with regards to clients who um, either go AWOL or don't pay, look, my, my view is try um, communication first. Pick up the phone, talk to them if you can, email them, uh, go through that process first uh, before you start thinking about letters of demand and then you know potentially uh, small claims courts. So it's worth having uh, a, a conversation with the client first if you can. Um, before you start uh, sending reminders uh, and sending a letter of demand. So that, so before you go nuclear, I guess, is yeah. what I'm saying, you know, <laughs> yeah. try try the communication route. But this is, sure. to, to be honest, so this goes back to having the right contract in the first place and how you manage that as well. Yeah. Uh, for me, I look at the arrangement that you have with a client holistically. So it's not just the contract, it's how you communicate, how you set expectations with the client. Um, so for example, a lot of us operate in the online world now. So your website is your reception. It's your first point of contact. It's the first time you create an impression with your potential client. So your website should set the scene uh, as to how you operate. For example, your yeah. website T's and C should have um, things like if you have a cancellation policy, spell it out. If you have a booking yeah. fee or booking policy, spell that out there. Um, when you have your consultation with your clients, set the expectations as, as to how you wanna be paid. And, and you know, if you um, have had experiences or poor experiences with clients not paying, well, why not think about how you can uh, address that uh, by having milestone payments instead. Um, so yeah. there's lots of different ways in which you can manage the arrangement with the client while setting expectations with the client at the same time to avoid uh, scenarios where they don't pay or go AWOL in the first place. So that leads me back to that point of being proactive. It's not just being proactive with a good contract, it's being proactive with how you communicate, how you set expectations. So all of those things together will help you have a good experience with your client. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in silence here just because that hits so many different nails on the head. It's not funny. Um, I think if you were to listen any, to any part of this podcast and you've just listened to that, that is a tremendous amount of value right there, Riz. Um, because I think that's a lot of the different things. It's not just the contract that we have to rely on. It's setting that foundation for that um, relationship that you build with a, a client from day dot. If, if the relationship is... is is tripping over itself from day one, you probably know that it's not going to end particularly well, um, potentially, and then you're not setting the tone for a positive engagement, be it in your contract, be it in your communication through a phone call, through your emails, through the work you deliver, and everything just 
hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's all about having the right foundations, the right processes, um, all of those things. The contract is one part of the jigsaw, in my view, um, but it's a very um, strong foundational part yeah, of the, the the relationship. But if if you have yeah. all those things in place, um, then you're going to reduce the risks to yourself where a client doesn't pay. So if you had a milestone structure, as an example, and you structured it into three milestones, the worst potential scenario you could have, have happen is you uh, lose one milestone payment. That's a lot better than losing yep. all three. Um, if you take a deposit up front and then break it down into milestones after as well. So at most mm-hmm. you, you lose is one milestone and that's so much better than losing, you know, half the fee or all of the fee. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, that's something I kind of do is typically it's a 50-50 split for me and, and the final payment, you know, happens before final deliverables are even turned over. So there has to be that trust there from your client with you as much as you have trust with them. Correct. So, you know, it, it's a mutually beneficial sort of thing here. If, if the trust isn't there and you're playing, you know, Russian roulette with each other at the end, two ends of a you know, stadium with a gun. Correct. It's not, the, it's not the kind of work you want to be doing. No, and, um, and, and like I said, open communication, um, consistent communication, consistent setting of expectations is kind of layering the journey with the client. Yeah. Yeah, and when you do that, they're not going to be upset with having to pay you the milestones before the job's handed over because you've already set the expectation that that's going to happen. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, we touched on this a bit towards the start of this in terms of is it really worth getting into legal disputes and how much time and money it can you know cause and, and the angst and the pain and the resentment and all that kind of thing that comes with it. And this question really kind of has a definitive answer just because of that. But, you know, is it really worth the time and resources to pursue that legal action over, you know, a job that typically as many creatives that would be listening to this are only charging between one to 10K? Is it worth pursuing even just calling someone like yourself to engage in a demand letter? So a couple of things there, um, and I'm potentially going to repeat myself a wee bit here as well but basically um it's 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 down to the individual and how they feel how strongly they feel is a combination of things one is don't go straight to the nuclear option see what things you can do yourself i.e um reminders uh, of sending the invoices I, I once told one client you know start off with the gentle email reminder with the link make it easy for them to pay you with the link and then start sending the ones with the big red big red you know (laughs) banners you know you haven't paid you know the notices you get from the electric electricity company when you're overdue on the bill (laughs) um you know so so well first let okay joking aside email um contact your clients pick up the phone talk to them find out what's going on um, then, you know, keep sending, automate your reminders t- so you're not having to physically keep sending them an email. Automate the reminders to send every X number of days because they haven't paid. And then, you know, you, you need to make a decision. If I'm going to s- send a letter of demand, um, then am I going to follow through on what I'm demanding? 
because you're going to be asking for the money and if you don't receive the money x or y is going to happen are you going to follow through on that so before you write that letter of demand you got to ask yourself are you going to really follow through on that and what all of that entails yeah is it an idle threat or are you actually going to correct have the balls to correct do it? yeah yeah yeah. But this goes back to, to be honest, though, if you were proactive in the beginning, you wouldn't even have to think about this question. And and not just being proactive, but then sticking to what your contract says. Don't suddenly give mates rates slash turnaround times to your client because you've got familiar with them and you like them. Don't suddenly say, yeah, no problem. You can pay me next week instead, you know, and hand over the work. Business is business. You can still have a friendship if you want, but business is business. And um, if you've got a good contract and if you've got these provisions in there, stick to them. Don't just suddenly, you know, stop applying them. Yeah, flip flip flop yeah big time. Yeah, yeah don't yeah. flip flop you yeah, know yeah. yeah yeah i think that that's a that's one thing that i say to many clients and some of them are people that i've known for up to a decade now um in that sort of relationship either former former colleagues that have asked me now for work and like i say look no hard feelings here but i'm going to provide you with a contract um, I would like you to sign it, but this is the terms for payment and everything. There's, there's nothing personal about it. It's just how I operate my operate my business, and I don't want to treat anyone differently in that respect. Um, but then the same thing is, you know, sending work over for, for approval with a big copyright watermark over the top of it um, until payment is issued. It, it's just these things that, you know, I apologize for them because then they don't look pretty or anything like that. But in the same respect, you know, I'm sure they appreciate that you are taking your business seriously um, and doing you know right by your business to make sure it is a profitable business. And if they want what's best for you, the same as you want what is best for them, then you know you're home and hosed. Hundred percent, agree with that. Yeah. Um, if we move yeah. into um, one part of a contract that a lot of um, creatives might get a bit um, confused by is, is copyright. And I know there's two different ways of, of going about copyright in terms of assignment and licensing. Um, I yep. might get you to maybe just describe briefly those two and why they're different, which we might be doing as, let's say, a designer rather than, say, an illustrator or, or someone that does art or that creates fonts. Yeah, so let, let's talk about... Um designer let's think about surface designers for example where you create a beautiful design and you enter into a contract with a company and they want to use that design on say um, plates Mm -hmm. okay so if your intention is to make it uh, something only they can use and nobody else then you're giving them um, and you intend to retain the copyright in that design then you're giving them exclusive rights to use that design on plates sure. okay um, the other option is that you assign copyright to them if you assign copyright to them you're no longer the owner of that copyright they can do whatever they want with that design yep. if you only license it to them then the license, this is where it gets a little bit tricky and I'll try and explain it and feel free to jump yeah, in and um, you know make sure I'm clear yeah, on this. Yeah. But with the licensing, there's two types of licenses. You can have an exclusive one or a non-exclusive one. The exclusive one means you've created a uniquely just for them. Okay. 
the non-exclusive one means you're going to sell it to others as well. Gotcha. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, so, so th- there's those two options. Um, then with the exclusive one, and this is important as well, um, or non-exclusive actually, but let's stick with exclusive because sure. I don't want to jump around <laughs> yeah, and confuse right. people. So if you grant an exclusive right for uh, the company to use that design on plates mm-hmm. and you charge them for that, they then go and use it on, say, bed linen. Yeah. If your contract is not clear that they can only use it on pla- plates, you've just lost royalties to um, the bed linen. Gotcha. So you need to be very clear in your contract if you are providing a license to create. Firstly, you're creating something exclusive for them. Secondly, you're giving them the license to use it only on plates. You be specific about that. Um, If you are not specific, you will lose royalties if they use that design on other things. And that's what's very important. The other thing that's important is people forget to um, say what territory applies. Is it Australia wide? Is it only state, you know, say only for New South Wales? You might want to use that design with another client so that that design might be only exclusive to this current client for New South Wales, for plates. You might want to give that design to somebody else in Queensland for something else. It, it, It depends on how you want to structure your arrangement with that client but you need to be very very clear I had a scenario um, with a service designer surface even uh, designer um, where she wasn't unfortunately the terms she originally had were not very clear um, around the licensing and the scope of that licensing and uh, the client was able to use her design on other things which meant she didn't get paid royalties for that Mm, that's a shame Um, so yeah, so we, we, we fixed up a contract for future arrangements um, and I had a chat with her and I talked to her about the differences and what they each meant, which helped her understand and then negotiate the correct terms going forwards. Um, but it is super important that when you design something and you want to give a license to somebody, so that means you still own that you st- it's still your copyright then you need to be clear what kind of license you're giving them is it for a specific thing is it for a specific territory those are the kind of things you need to really think about yeah. i think to probably put into a real context that the listeners would definitely understand is for an exclusive um design that we might make it might be a design for a t-shirt for a company so that they are only yes. allowed to produce t-shirts with that print for a certain amount of time in, let's say, Australia for that specific purpose only. It can't go onto a hat. It can't go onto anything else. Whereas a non-exclusive license would be something like a font. So if you design a font and you want to have multiple people use and and work with it for... for their yeah. for their works, like I do with the fonts that I use for G'day Design Life, um, I have use of that, but I don't own it. It still lies with that person, that font foundry that created. Correct. It. So that's that's a difference. Whereas, let's say for a logo, my understanding is that you want that to be assigned to the client, not licensed. Where 
they have full ownership of that going forward and it's totally their copyright that it becomes once they've paid you and you send it over and it's done. Correct. Perfect. Perfect. Ooh, yes. Maybe 100%. I should be a <laughs> Maybe you should. Maybe you should. Yeah. I think no, I've just looked at this too much stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No. And it's really important to understand those things and what, because for example, going back to that exclusive one with the t-shirt example that you gave, mm-hmm. there is nothing um, stopping you as the creator entering into a license agreement. So you would have started off with a services agreement with that client because they approach you and say, hey, I want you to make this awesome. I want you to make me a design for t-shirts. Sure. You create that design. They walk away. They're happy. They're selling the t-shirts. The design is super popular. They come back to you and say, hey, you know how you created that design for us? We now want to use it on caps and, um, you know, uh, scarves and things. So you would enter into a license agreement and for those extra things and take royalties. The royalties can be uh, a percentage of what they sell. It could be a one-off fee. It is entirely up to what you negotiate with that client, uh, what you do with that. So you can still make more money from the same client for that exclusive um, uh, design. Correct. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Cool, cool. That makes it very clear. I think it's one thing to, for many designers, I would imagine we're most of the time assigning copyright. Um, But yeah, there are terms or instances let's say where you would want to license rather than that because i've seen this pop up many times on on facebook groups especially where designers go i've got this design and you know someone's asking me to put it on all these different items but i don't know do i just give them the copyright and let it go or do i want to take royalties and i think it comes down to your own personal preference half the time as well correct and look there's nothing stopping you in that original services agreement where you design the design for the client to say, well, if they say to you, look, I want to use it on several things, you price it accordingly. You're not going to charge. If they came to you and said, I just want to use it for T-shirts only, you charge them a certain price. But if they come to you and say, hey, we want to use it on these several things, then your price might be different and reflective of that scope. Yeah, for sure. Scope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's definitely up to you then to, to really be understanding where the client is going to use it. So in terms of context, if you're not asking the question of where this is going, you might be maybe li- losing out on an opportunity. They might come to you and ask, can you do this typography kind of lettering? But then you don't ask where it's going to go or why they're using it. Then, you know, that's an opportunity lost potentially. Yeah. Um, can I ask you as well, there's a thing that I do have in my contracts and it's always been something I've not had a clear understanding on, is moral rights. Yeah. Um, so once you assign over, you still have some attribution rights there, I would Correct. I, I believe. Correct. Yes. Um, so basically, um, with moral rights, you have the right to be attributed and recognized as the author, the creator of moral rights. Um But sometimes what happens is in a contract, um, you'll see a clause where you can waive those rights. Um, So you can't assign moral rights, but you can waive them by giving consent um, to say it's okay for me not to be attributed. You don't have to attribute me. Yep. That worked to me. Um, So that's what can happen and it tends to happen in contracts. But it's an individual preference preference you can retain those moral rights and retain the right to be attributed um 
or you can and and i see it more often now where um the moral rights are waived uh, and what that means is basically you're saying the, the clause is saying that you don't have to be attributed uh, as uh, as the, the the original author of that content yeah what i've ended up finding so far in, in my short career running my own business is it typically happens when i'm working as a contractor for another company that is the service provider for another business um, where I come in to help them with a particular part of their project to then have them, you know, be doing the work as the overseer of that project kind of thing. Yeah. So when I worked in television, it was um, having having me waive my moral rights because I wasn't the original copyright owner of the IP yeah. um, and, and I was creating assets for them to present, you know, a TV show to a network, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or for a, an ad agency I've done some work with where they were presenting an, a, an ad piece pitch or whatever it was to a particular client of a business and that's where they're waived and it yeah. makes total sense in that sort of instance. Yeah, so creators have moral rights even if they don't own the copyright in the work, 100%. Um, and, and like I said, you, can, um, you can't um, sell or completely waive those rights, but you can give consent uh, for certain things. And in that way, you waive those rights, if that makes sense, yep. by giving Definitely. that consent. So expressly consenting to that, uh, you know, to be happening. Yeah. 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 And then in relation to that, is it something that we should probably be explicitly saying in our contracts? that we hope or we are asking for permission for a, a client to allow us to pre- share their work on say Behance or our portfolios or anything like that just to gain more work I think so I think you should always anything you really truly want should be expressly specified in a contract because it's better to have it and rely on that than not have it and argue with your client over it for sure for sure, something I have in my contract. Uh, yeah, I'm quite happy. But I, I even still like even if though it's in my contract, I still have the conversation with that client and say, look, I would like to share this as a portfolio piece. Once this project is completely final and you have it launched, um, you know, are you okay with this? If not, then this may be a deal breaker, or it may not be. You know, that's yeah. where the terms come in. Yeah, correct. And and look, you know, there might be scenarios where the work you've created incorporates their copyright or their trademarks. So exactly. you might not be able yeah. to post it on in your portfolio without their consent. For sure. So it's sure. important to make that clear in the contract. You know, as part of the arrangement, you have the right to be um, uh, be able to reproduce the work mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of uh, purely for uh, attribution and enhancing your portfolio. Yeah. Perfect. Um, this is one question, Riz, that can, that comes up quite a bit in discussions or in the design space is um, raw files. So Photoshop files, InDesign files, basically the, the design files that we produce that we don't typically send to a client. We usually would send you know, a JPEG, PNG, PDF, EPS, whatever it is, depending on what files we're producing. Um, in t- talk to me about it, raw files and, and how we might go about... Um, including this maybe in a contract or dealing with a client if one asks for those particular raw files? Because there's some issues that I could imagine in terms of copyright and trademark infringement if things get changed on their part without your knowledge because they have a design file that they can manipulate. Yeah. So basically it's kind of a... I I know some... uh, 
you know, uh, creatives don't like handing over raw files, especially in the photography space. Um, and it's, look, it's entirely up to the individual as well. Um, the concern I can see uh, from the individual's perspective is if access is then uh, granted to those raw files, um, what happens to the end product that was originally created? Will it be changed beyond recognition? And do you want to then be um, associated with that work? Yeah. Um, also, you don't want um, the client coming back and saying, well, you know, th- these, fo- these images look nothing like what you know, I asked for. Um, so you, you want to protect yourself again to say, well, if you are going to hand over the raw files, then you would probably, and I would recommend you charge a premium for that. Um, and on the understanding that, um, you know, you're not liable for anything, uh, that happens to those raw files or what happens with the use of those raw files. Um, and, and, if necessary, maybe even call out that if they are, if the end product that you designed or or created uh, has changed significantly, that it doesn't reflect your work, uh, then you might not want to be attributed either. So maybe call that out as well. Um, but it's it's kind of up to the individual creative. I think at the end of the day, if they are comfortable with handing that over, I don't see. Um, I don't understand any, any issues with handing over, for example, uh, business cards or, um, you know, menus uh, for restaurants, etc. Those kind of things. It makes it, it makes sense to hand it over. Um, but I, I can understand also concerns from some creatives like photographers who might uh, be reluctant. So that's why it's uh, maybe uh, they should think about setting parameters around uh, what that means if they do. Uh, both on price, both on attribution to the work, um, or if the client suddenly is not happy with uh, what's been achieved using those raw files and tries to come back to the original creator. Yeah, or let's say even you send over the raw file to um, a creative team within that department and they go changing things and then they go, then they get sent to the people that, you know, engage with you on... um, the project, let's say the, the high management that approved all this, and then they see something change and then go, wait a minute, you've, you've, they've, we've changed things here or there. Can we go back to what we originally had? And you say, well, no, I haven't kept those files. Um, sorry, that's kind of on you guys now because you've manipulated what I've provided you with, and that's not on me. That's that's on Correct. you guys. Correct, and that's why it's important to make those things clear if you are planning to uh, hand over raw files. It's, yeah. it's yeah. I mean, I think as well, there'd be an instance and it, it would be, I would imagine, very, very rare that if a client, let's say you gave them a logo and then they went and changed it and um, they changed it to a point where it infringed on another business's copyright um, or a trademark and they get into hot water, then they come back to you and go, hey, 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 what's going on here? We're yeah. infringing. Yeah. It's like, well, no, no, no. I, what I gave you <laughs> is... Yeah. Um, you know, was kosher. Now you've changed it. That is on you guys. And you want to be able to indemnify yourself from not having to worry about a client doing so if you do hand over those files. Yeah. So it's, it's hundred percent. You need to be very clear, but look, some, some people just don't like handing over the raw files and that's fine. And, uh, and some do. Um, 
but like I said, where you do, make sure you set out clear parameters around what that means. Can I ask you, Riz, in terms of, for many of us, we might get um, directed to sign a contract from a business rather than provide one ourselves to them. Um, should we have it looked over by a legal professional, so like someone like yourself? Um, you know, as I've heard instances where, you know, legal fine print has got people, especially design friends of mine, into, you know, thousands of dollars of lost revenue because they didn't read one particular line that it cost them. A hundred percent. Again, look, the, the contract you're going to receive has been drafted in favor of the person who's given handing it over to you. Okay. Um, and I learned that very early on. Yeah, <laughs> it's not in your favorites in their favor. Correct. Yeah, sure. So it should always be checked out. Um, look, I have problems with my car now. And again, I take it to a mechanic. I don't try and fix it myself. Um, the same with a contract. If you receive a contract, um, you should have it checked over to make sure the things that really concern you are, are correctly addressed and and are reflective of what you want to happen. Um, and a couple of the sticking points will be around uh, intellectual property, around payment terms. You need to be very, very clear on those things. Um, I think where you are providing the service um, to the client, you should always be the provider of the contract, in my view. Um, where you are not, you carry a higher risk of uh, um, you know, having a, a contract that is not drafted in your favor. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's that's been my issue of working with some bigger agencies and companies where they are the ones that provide the contract because they have their legal teams that's the way they want to operate and it's like okay fine that's all good but if I don't understand one particular clause here or there I'm I'm asking the question going either from them what's this about can you please explain this or if they can't give it to me in terms that make sense to me I will ask somebody that can do so for me uh, it's super important especially if you know, um, you have you want to retain copyright, for example, if the clause is not clear, because sometimes, you know, you can have scenarios where um, you, you might hand over copyright without realizing it. Yeah. Uh, and you may not have wanted to do that. Um, you might uh, have terms that require you to hand over the work before you've been paid. You yeah. might not want to do that. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to do that. So, um, so it's really, really important um, to make sure uh, that you've had them checked out. It, it's, it's worth it. It's, again, going back to that whole being proactive about protecting yourself. And also, it, you become familiar. You have those conversations. You become kind of familiar for what you're looking for and what you want. And then setting those expectations. And don't ever be afraid to set expectations uh, with the people you work with. I think they'll respect you more for that. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely found that where the more I've interacted with contracts and, and different other people's contracts, the more I understand the verbology of, of, of you know, legal lingo here and there as best I can. Yeah. But then the same respect that if I'm coming back and having that conversation, it kind of, they see that I'm actually doing this legit. I'm not just, you know, some show pony that comes in, does the, you know, the pretty design then walks away. I actually know what I'm talking about. 100%. Um, in, in more senses of business than just being a designer or a pixel pusher or whatever. Correct. And also, you know, when you have your own contract, it makes you um, come across as more professional as well and that you mean business. 
um, you know, and also you don't want to uh, be in a situation or a relationship with somebody that doesn't respect uh, your work and your value. Um, and if if you've uh, if you're being put in a situation where they're trying to take advantage of you, do you really want that client? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, exactly. That's exactly it. You got to set that expectation from the start. And if you're doing everything in in your power to present yourself as that professional service provider, you know, not not just some design lackey that sits behind a computer and you know does what everyone else can't do, then yeah. Absolutely. And look, I understand, you know, when you're first starting out, you're a small business, you're a sole trader, and you really want to get your business going. And and you you potentially say yes to lots of projects that once you're more established, you would look back and say, oh, you know, I wouldn't have taken this, I wouldn't have done that, you know, but at the beginning, it can be hard to say no, it can be hard, um, you know, refusing work. Um, But I think that notwithstanding that there's certain things you should set in stone as your these are my line line in the sand and there's no crossing over these points <laughs> yeah, yeah and um yeah. and you should stick with that and like and and like i said before you know when you have your own contract a properly drafted one um it's uh it's it sets uh, a certain it gives a certain impression of you on what you're about um and look the contracts uh should not be uh, unfair to either party. They should be setting out obligations of both parties. Obviously, certain obligations might be a wee bit more onerous uh, than others, but it, it depends on the situation. It, it, they're not onerous for flimsical, whimsical reasons. They are onerous for a purpose. Um, so so th- it should always be a bit of give and take. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I've just thought of one quick one off the top of my head of... of- Designers that may not enter into an engagement with a client and not have a contract, uh, things like a proposal or an email or a verbal agreement still potentially valid as a, a working arrangement there in terms of like a contract? It's not the best way, um, but it can be uh, under, uh, I'm going to use a legal word, common law. You can have a where there's an offer and acceptance, where you, you've made an offer, they've accepted and money's changed hands. You could argue. But the thing is, you would need that all interpreted in a court of law if things go wrong, if you yeah. see what I mean. Yeah, um, it's always, always better to have um, a proper contract than it is. Uh, but equally, it's it's also ha- uh, good to have something rather than nothing in writing as well in a worst case scenario. Absolutely. Uh, but the, the absolute best way to protect yourself is a solid agreement that uh, reflects both parties' interests and obligations and uh, etc. But something is better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd throw that one out there because I remember putting that out in a post a few weeks back and I remember you commenting on it um, about verbal agreements or even an email where, you know, yeah. somebody can be entered into an agreement just from accepting certain terms and there being a period of consideration and then into, you know, money exchange and that's a formal kind of a contract in a very loose sense. But, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, I think you just for favour of doubt, you, you don't want to be going into one without one. Correct, correct. Yeah. Um, let's finish on this one, um, Riz, and it's it's more about websites. So as creators, we generally have a home base of ours being a website and 
Um, and typically we might have a form um, or many forms for someone to subscribe to our newsletter or to contact us where we're capturing that person's um, name, email address and a body of a message maybe. Um, what is it that we need to do to protect ourselves on that website? Um, is it things like a terms and conditions page or a privacy policy, um, which is all those big long pages of yes. you know, terms? Well, well, firstly, I don't think they have to be big long pages, okay? okay? But what they should be doing is setting, again, that magic word I like to use, setting expectations, okay? So your website uh, terms and conditions, they're... they're your website's potentially the first port of call for the client or potential client. So your terms and conditions sets out, well, this is how this website operates and this is how we may operate as a business in addition to some additional terms and conditions you might need to enter into if you want to use our services. Um, and it also um, protects you from potential liabilities as well, uh, a good terms and conditions on your website. The privacy policy is something else that you need it's important if you take if you have any kind of contact form on your website that takes details like emails and names you need a privacy policy um and and you don't it doesn't have to be um legalese on war and peace in terms of you know several pages <laughs> but it just nearly it just need, needs to clearly set out and communicate to the visitor who you are what you do what you're going to why you collect the information what you're going to do with that information and what their rights are and what the obligations are on them and you in regards to that uh, in in the very simplistic sense that's what it yep. needs to do and you should most definitely have a privacy policy if you take any kind of personal information on the website um 100 uh you need that um but uh and without it you could be in trouble uh, with the terms and conditions, again, that kind of clearly sets out to um, the user, uh, again, who you are, what, what, what you do, your expectations around, you know, using the website, accessing the content on the website. You might, you know, have blog articles there. You don't want them. This this impacts other industries more, I, I guess, than creatives. Uh, but it clearly sets out. If you, uh, for example, uh, if you sell images online uh, mm -hmm. for downloading, uh, yep. you you might want to make it clear in your terms and conditions. Well, it looks this color, but it might be a different color when when you receive it. Gotcha. You know, because people can, funnily enough, complain that they didn't get mm. the color they wanted or something like that. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So so it's little little nuances like that and limiting your liability to them as well and an important one actually um so it does a number of things um but yeah you you will need out of the two the privacy policy in particular you will need it if you take any kind of personal information fantastic fantastic um now for everyone listening um i, I asked that last question because um riz does offer a template-based um, privacy or privacy the way um, riz says it uh, policy for us to use on our website. Now, she's giving away um, a couple of these templates and what we're looking for in return for that is if you are um, a big fan of the show, let's say, but if, even if you've just listened to this episode only, if you want to leave a, um, a great or fantastic bit of feedback as a review on Apple Podcasts for this podcast, um, we're going to pick the best review that's there or the most entertaining, whatever you want to put in there to make us laugh, especially me because I like a good laugh. Um, <laughs> we'll give, uh, Riz will give you her privacy policy template to use so you can 
put it up onto your website if you don't have one already or you have one that's a bit lackluster um, and this will really bolster um, and make sure that you are setting the good foundations and expectations for someone to visit your website and engage with you so thank you Riz no worries you're very welcome it's been a pleasure so um, Riz in terms of people finding you on um, the internet on social media where can we um, visit found legal you can find me uh, on the internet at find com, or Instagram. You can DM me, um, find legal, uh, and on Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn. It's the same tag, find everywhere. legal. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. Is that the reason why you had a double D then, just so you could have it everywhere? Yes. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, thank you so much, Riz, for coming on. I hope you guys got something out of this. There was some ridiculous amount of great information there to give us some confidence of how to go about our contracts, um, how to go about certain engagements with our um, clients and, and, and run an effectively positive and professional business. So thank you so much, Riz. This was an absolute uh, gem of an episode. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. No worries. So guys, um, thanks for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, this is just an audio podcast. It's the first one we've done just as audio. Um, but if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks for listening. Leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. That would be much appreciated. And you might win that little privacy policy from Riz. Thanks so much, guys. Catch you in the next episode. Stay See up. ya. Thank you. <laughs>